Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 51, Wing Rigging Made Easy. Drilling the wing spars to the fuselage is the final step in completing the major assembly and can cause some grief if you don't do it correctly. We'll explain how to rig the wings accurately and painlessly and avoid the need to remake parks from a wing rigging that's gone bad. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604, Sonic's 1374. Joining me again are my two good buddies, Gary Motley and John Gillis. John is currently deep in the conversion of his Legacy YX to a new B model, and has already taken the scary task of separating the forward and aft fuselage, and he's got a, a hanger full of parts. So, John, how's that process going? It's um, it's scary, but I've got a full weekend ahead of me. Um, I last weekend I did separate the uh, the forward fuselage from the empennage, and uh, I now have two airplanes in my hanger. Um, neither can fly. Well, if you didn't pull the engine off, you'd have a great go-kart. And, and actually, I, when I pulled the uh, the forward fuselage off, I left the uh, landing gear and everything on the motor mount, and I have a really cool wheelbarrow <laughs> if I want to use it. Nice. All right. Well, um, so what do you think that you're going to get accomplished in this next weekend? You said you got a long weekend, so. Mostly it's prepping the empennage for the forward fuselage. So I've got all the uh, the bits and pieces that came in the kit to retrofit uh, the splices and the uh, the new flap uh, actuator tube moves to the aft section instead of in forward of the uh, the uh, wing box. And so that's that's kind of my goal this weekend is to get the aft fuselage all ready for mating to the new one. Okay. And do you already have the new forward tub constructed? It's all constructed. It's just clecoed. I haven't riveted much together okay. yet. So it's it's ready to go together. Um, I'm really restraining on, on riveting much um, because the last time I did it, I did rivet it all together, and then I'm having to dive in to do things, and I don't want to do that. Right, yeah. And if you have the clecos, there's a lot of places where you could leave those in until almost the very end. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've learned that from my first build. Mm -hmm. Well, cool. So probably uh, inside of a few weeks, you're going to be joining the, the new forward fuse to the, to the old AF and, and you're going to have uh, a new fuselage. Yeah. I'll, I'll be ready to do the wing ringing, which is what we're talking about tonight. All right. <laughs> well, good deal. And Gary Motley. Gary is a longtime pilot, former CFI, and a multi-time airplane builder. And probably one of the most flying guys I know. Gary, uh, how much flying did you get in since our last show? You know, I'm really, really sad and bummed. The weather around here has not been very cooperative. Even last night we had winds howling about 40, 45 miles an hour. Um, so I, the last weekend wasn't real productive. This week hasn't been productive so far, and unfortunately, the weekend's not looking much better either. So, I'm doing a lot of hangar flying and, and studying at the moment. So, yeah, but I'll get back up there though. Well, weather has been really bad in Kansas City. I haven't flown my plane in probably a month now. I did go out yesterday when the weather was above about the high 40s, 
and started the engine and I couldn't really get to the runway. The, the field is so soggy that I, I couldn't wade through all that mud to get there. But I did get a little bit of ground run in. And uh, I <laughs> I think I'm going to have to replace my throttle cable. For those of you that have the Sonics throttle quadrant, there's a cable that pulls the aero injector open. Well, that cable works pretty good in a push-pull capacity because it's, it's only maybe an inch or so unsupported to, from where it leaves the handle and goes into the sheath but if your throttle or your your carburetor is kind of gummy it's been sitting in the cold and the damp for the last month like mine has and it doesn't really want to move and you get ham-fisted and jam that throttle yeah I kinked the cable right there at the at the quadrant and now I'm gonna have to pull it out and change it so that's what I get to do, do you, this week do you have the original solid wire or you got the flexible I have cable? the the larger flexible cable. Sonics um they have used small cables in the past, they use larger cables and then they use they have used solid wires. So, I'm probably going to replace it with a solid wire. Boy, you must have used your foot on that to bend that one then. I was really excited. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it's you know, if there's there's always some little thing to do and half the time it's of your own making. So, Sure, sure. Well, Jeff, I uh, <clears throat> last uh, Sunday I was towing for the Glider Club, and it was maybe 30 degrees here. We had a lot of high toes. I had an aerobatic uh, glider that wanted to go up really high uh, to 14,000 feet. And it was maybe just above zero Fahrenheit up there, uh, freezing my butt off. To uh, But I got my flying fix in. I got two and a half hours in. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, I'll be working on the plane this weekend, but I don't—I won't be flying. We're supposed to get another two to eight inches of snow starting tomorrow, so uh, it's probably going to be another couple of weeks before I manage to get any airtime. Yeah, they're calling for a little bit more snow, either possibly tonight and this weekend. Yeah. All right. Well, our guest for this episode is Lou Pappas. Lou is a two-time Sonics builder. He first completed the third customer-built Legacy YX kit number 31. That was finished back in 2006, and then most recently, he completed an Aero-V turbo-powered B-model YX, and that's kit number 10. That was in uh, December of 2018. And Lou, by my count, that was the second customer-built YX B-model, so congratulations on that. Uh, Thanks so much. Fun again. I had a second time with a good uh, company and a good kit. Yeah, and I'll put a link to uh, the, the pictures that you sent Sonics. I'll put that in the show notes, but your YX is just gorgeous looking. I mean, it it really just looks totally professional, just absolutely beautiful. Thanks, I appreciate that. That's actually the fifth, fifth airplane I built. I built uh, my third one was the first YX from back in two thousand six seven. I took a third place with that one in the uh, at the Copper State Show, and then uh, kit planes came out, and we did a photo shoot over Sedona with that one that year. That was on the cover, and they did an article inside on that one. Uh, I liked that airplane. It was good at Jabber with 3300 on it. And we uh, flew that for about three years, I think. And uh, somebody spotted it and uh, made me an offer, and I couldn't refuse on it. So I sold it, and that went off to California, and I think in Colorado, last I heard, with the third owner. And then uh, I built an RV-8 in the meantime, uh, which uh, was a real fun airplane as well, Uh, very capable. And then the same thing happened. Somebody came by and uh, offered me more than I thought it was worth. And so I figured, okay, I'll, I'll sell it. I'll get out of flying. And three months went by and I said, you know, I can't do that. Uh, I wasn't really ready not to be flying anymore. So 
I'm a real big fan of things that are efficient, that don't burn a lot of fuel, that have a wide envelope, that uh, just do things well. And uh, I went looking for another airplane. And uh, at all the things I looked at, through all the kit plane, uh, you know, uh, kit models uh, and, and everything that's out there, so it had to come back. Sonics just really gives you more bang for the buck. And uh, so uh, I decided to build another YX, came across the kit and uh, said, well, uh, I'll just have at it. The kit that I had had the ROV uh, motor mount on it and uh, found the turbo motor and boxes. A guy had never opened them and that was it. So I uh, decided to build that one and had a good time doing it. But I took a longer time to build this one. The one back in 2006-7, that thing from the time I got the kit in the hangar until the first flight was only about six months, five and a half to six months. Mm, wow. But I was down there. Uh, till 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock most nights, working 30 hours in the office and then at least 30 hours uh, in, the, in the hangar. And this time my wife was not going to let me do that. So I decided I would have to see if I could keep my attention span over a longer build period because that's one of my issues. If I don't just get something done, sometimes I'll just say, I'm, all right, I'm done with it. I'm tired. But, but uh, yeah, I like the airplane. I like the people up there at Sonics. Uh, the kit's well done. The plans are among the best I've come across and all the ones that I've seen. And uh, so again, went and built this one. And strangely enough, uh, I haven't really ever had a completely red airplane before. I've had some red trim before, but and, and I'm not a red guy, but I was up in uh, Oshkosh. Uh, I go up to Green Bay every year for a compliance meeting. And I stopped by to see uh, Carrie and Mark and uh, John and all that. And I saw their airplane in person. Of course, I've seen it in the magazines, the red one. Uh, but wow, when I saw it in person, I said, you know what, that's really the right color for that thing. And I got home, and it's a small airplane, so I happened to be out in the yard and look up and I hear a motor, and there's a small red airplane zipping over the house. And I said, you know, I can see that thing pretty well. So it, it, I decided to paint that thing. I was looking for a really good red color. That's a 2017 Corvette torch red uh, paint color. And all I wanted was some simple black trim on it just to kind of set it apart a little bit from the factory planes, and uh, that was the result. Yeah, well, I think you nailed it. Thanks. I always look for them. All I'm looking for with my airplanes is when someone comes around the corner, I want them to go, oh, that's nice. And that's what I got. Yeah, yeah. So two questions. Um, first off, without going down a huge diversion, so going from an RV-8 to a YX, those are very different projects. So, And a lot of people ask this, oh, should I build an RV or should I build a Sonics? And it's kind of a loaded question because they're very different airplanes. But just spend a couple of minutes and talk about the differences as having built and flown and owned both. Well, you know, the thing about airplanes are they're just like motorcycles or boats or any machine. They don't, no single one does everything great. The good ones do a lot of things well. Uh, the RVs are one of those things that do a lot of things well. Uh, they're not full out aerobatic, but you can do stuff with them. Uh, they've got a pretty good range, but, uh, you know, you got to make a fuel stops, a couple fuel stops going across country. They fly very much like the Sonics. They're, you know, three fingers on the stick, just your fingertips on the stick of the Sonics and, and as well as on the RV. Uh, it's a heavier airplane, handles, you know, the bump yourself a little bit better, but it's not that much heavier. You know, it's three, 400 pounds heavier at the most. And uh, they do have, you know, regular aircraft engine. I'm using like Homings or the, you know, the, the Superiors or the XP, all those things in them. Uh, the build is very, is, is similar and different. The Sonics is hands down way easier to build. 
less involved uh, than the RV. We don't have to drive rivets. The RV got to drive rivets. The plans for the Sonics are just simple. Great, great uh, drawings. Uh, the build order is on most pages. The uh, instructions are close enough. The RV is, for my RV8, it was a different animal. I had about a 1,500-page build manual that had really nothing but a few sketches in it and a lot of words to read and then interpret mentally as to what those images would be. And then you had the plans to boot. Well, Sonics has simplified that. The build manual is the plans. So I just start with the build tree on the Sonics, pick any place I feel like starting, go to that page, build whatever's on that thing, and I'm done. I take that build tree, and I use a green uh, felt marker, and I green out that box. Uh, when all the boxes are green, I know the airplane's done, and I can fly it. That's always satisfying, checking off a box, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is. But I, I do go down those lists of the build, uh, uh, the construction order and construction notes on each page. And when I finish that, I'll put a little check mark next to that or a line on the date that I finished it on. And I, I go back uh, when you're checking uh, before your your inspection to make sure that you're not missing anything. And then I bring as many friends as I can over to the hangar and say, OK, now show me all the stuff that I missed because there's always something. And the more eyes you have looking at it before you, when you're done or when you're building, the better off it is for you. How many missed rivets did you find? <laughs> you mean, I, I, I'm not sure I'm done finding them yet, but I did. <laughs> I found a few when I was painting it. <laughs> I just found one almost a year later. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. how you can look at a part, you know, a dozen times and miss that there's a hole that hasn't been filled. And you yeah, stare at it. It's incredible. Yeah. But it happens. Interestingly well, enough, well, luckily we have 14,000 rivets in this airplane. So if we miss two, if they're not in the yeah. critical places, you'll get by until you find it. Yeah, yeah right. nothing falls out. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lou, the, the second question is um, what prompted you to choose the Aero V Turbo for this plane? Well, the story with me is I was looking for an airplane and uh, uh, I was going to buy one from the factory. This I did not buy from the factory. This is the first customer-delivered YX uh, B model that was out there. It went to uh, a fella in Tennessee. His name, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it escaped me for the moment, but uh, uh, he is a FedEx pilot. And his intent was that he would buy this, and him and his 11-year-old daughter would build it. So the kit came to his house. Him and his daughter went out there and built a couple of the tail pieces, couple, parts of the rudder vader. And he told me that she looked at him and said, Dad, um, I want to go play soccer. So I think he realized that she was too young at that point to do this. And he put it up for sale. And I found it uh, on Barnstormers, actually. I corresponded with him, you know, over the course of a week or 10 days or so. And we came to a deal and I told him I'd come out and pick the thing up. Uh, strangely enough, another fella not 50 miles from him. Remember, I live in Phoenix. These guys are in eastern Tennessee. Uh, 50 miles from him, had built a 1X. And he had almost finished the airplane, and he lost the lease on his shop that he was using to build it in, and he decided that he had to get rid of the project. So he put the 1X up for sale on uh, Barnstormers as well, and uh, I, I found it and asked him if he was willing to just sell the motor because the airframe that I had had the ARV motor mount on it. And he said, yeah, he would. Uh, it was still in boxes. He had never opened the boxes. It was a brand new uh, turbo kit. And so I came to a deal with him, and I, I flew out to eastern Tennessee, uh, met the guy with the airframe, 
And then the other fella drove the 50 miles with the motor. I put it on a U, not a U-Haul, but a, well, yeah, a U-Haul truck that I rented, drove it back to Phoenix, back the next day. And uh, that's that's how I got this particular airframe. But if I hadn't happened to have come across that, I just would have bought John. Uh, advantage to me in Arizona is if we buy something used in Arizona or that is previously owned uh, from a private individual, we don't have to pay sales tax here. So that was an advantage to me, and that made sense. So that, that's how I came to be in possession of this particular kit. Okay. How is the Aero V Turbo running for you? Are you pleased with it? Uh, I am so far. Uh, uh, it's been a long time since I worked on a Volkswagen-based motor, you know, teenage years, and even then I was more into the VGH and stuff. The issues that I've had with the Aero V, I think, are not Aero V issues. I think that they're just Volkswagen design issues and my assembly. And the only things that have been bugging me is I had a couple of small oil seeps that, from what I understand, most guys get and kind of just live with and wipe them away, but I can't, I can't live with that. So I pulled the motor off last week and uh, broke it down to the, uh, put, pulled the jugs off and I resealed everything, put a new main seal in the back that was dripping a little bit. But I believe that the issues that I've had with the uh, kind of dripping, the little oil seeps and stuff, I think they're more my assembly issues. So what I did was I, in the interim, I consulted with other people who know a way lot, a lot more about Volkswagen engines and how to make them not be leaky. And I used their expertise and their input. And a couple guys came over and showed me some things and uh, recommended some products that we use for sealing these things. And uh, I'm going to bolt the thing back on as soon as I get uh, a couple of small parts from Sonics in the next day or so. And and hopefully by then next week, I'll have it back in the air again. But as far as when I, I had about 10 hours on it now and I like the motor. It's, of course, brand new. It's a little hard to tell exactly what it's like because I you know, I haven't had it up at 12,000, 15,000 feet, which is where I kind of like to fly when I'm going places. Uh, but the acceleration is good, reasonable climb. I'm, I'm keeping a shallow angle to keep the temperatures down on a new motor. But uh, quite frankly, at 2,700 feet above my field here in Glendale, Arizona, uh, at about 3,100 RPM and maybe about 30 inches, 30 something inches, you know, low 30s uh, of manifold pressure, thing was chewing out at 151 miles an hour. So I got a feeling that at 8,000, 10,000, 12,000, it's going to be moving along pretty well. And it burns a fair amount of fuel, fuel less than the Jabiru did in the last one. It's yeah. pretty fuel efficient. Mm -hmm. yeah. hmm. So you can fly that thing around at 100 miles an hour or, or 115 miles an hour, Cessna 172 speeds, and burn you know, three, three and a half, or I guess you can get it up high and go fast and burn maybe six. But I, I think you'd be just not leaned out and not set up well if you're burning more than six or so in that. But we have 20 gallons of fuel in the B model. That's pretty nice. The tail dragger will actually hold a little bit more than 21. Hmm. So, um, Lou, you mentioned uh, a sealant that they recommended. Uh, that kind of intrigued me. What product are they telling you to use? Well, you know, the video from Sonics has you using the Permatex 3H. Yeah. Uh, to, and, you know, a lot of guys have success and the factory uses it. I just, I'm not a fan. It's a little thin. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to, it doesn't have a lot of viscosity. Uh, and I slop that stuff on there pretty good. So what I don't like about it is that first off, it's stinky and smelly. It's hard to get off your fingers. And the second thing is that, once it's on the engine and the engine's running, even though that 3H has set, as the engine heats up, it starts to liquefy the, you know, uh, more and starts to drip down the sides of the motors. And I'm one of those guys that doesn't like my motors messy looking. Uh, 
looks like oil dripping. It's not. It was just excess 3H dripping down the side, which I had to clean up. So the stuff that I, I got a line on from a friend of mine, actually, it's interesting because this fella, he's got uh, uh, old 1960s. If you walk into a shop, it still looks like the 1960s. Uh, Harley motorcycle shop. And uh, he's been building Harleys forever. And he's got a guy in his shop that also builds turbo Volkswagen motors for sand rails and stuff. And the guy's got a lot of experience. So he said, the only thing that we use is a Dow Seal product. It's a Dow product called 3145 RTV. It's a military uh, adhesive sealant, gray, and it's not cheap. It's about uh, 35 to 45 bucks for a three, fl- or a three fluid ounce tube. But you uh, follow the technique, just like it is in the manual and the video for sealing the jugs, uh, with this exception. You put the uh, spacer rings on the bottom of the jugs, just like uh, normal, uh, and you use this 3145. But when you put the jugs on and put the heads on, you only torque them down to about 10, 12 foot pounds. That's it. And you leave it there overnight. After 24 hours, then you torque it the rest of the way. And that sealant has set up and creates a rubber seal between the case and the jug. And I think that's important because if you look at this 2180cc crankcase, when they bore that crank out, there's a couple spots right near the cylinder studs that are have very thin shelves. And you fill that, and that can be a source of leaks. And uh, I f- I'm hoping to find, I've been told by my buddies that I won't have any problems with it. I'll, f- I'll let you know next week. Uh, that that fills those as if you just got a rubber seal in there. So I'm hoping that that's the case with that. Right. Now, I know you didn't split your case, but do they recommend using that same product on the case halves or just for the, the barrels and, and jugs? Actually, he would do it. He would split. The, he would assemble it with that in the case as well. But I luckily found that the 3H worked pretty well in there. I didn't have yeah. any uh, leaks in the case, so I, I wasn't going to break it down any further than that. Okay. And what about the uh, the rear main seal? Do you use it around there? Yeah. No, I didn't use that. I used um, the black oil maximum oil Permatex uh, RTV just to put that in. But I also changed something. You know, the seal we get from Sonics and the one that is, is uh, uh, the normal seal is a single lip rubber seal that goes that goes in that uh, that area. I found online that a seal with two lips in it. It's the same diameter seal and it's meant for Volkswagen, but it has two lips on the inner diameter of the seal. And so I use that and I'm figuring, well, if one's good, two's got to be better. So that's what I did for this one. I, it's not running again yet. I won't know for another week or so whether it's working, but um, I'm assuming that it is. I think what I did with the first one, I didn't have enough lubrication on that uh, seal when I started running that motor, and I think and I think that's why it got that leak on it. Again, not the kit's fault, not the motor's fault, uh, assembler's problem, like usual. That's the first place I look when I have a problem is what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, that's uh, interesting. Uh, always looking for uh, you know good tips from people. Okay, and and I got one <laughs> one follow on question. So, thinking back to your legacy YX and now comparing it to the uh, B model YX, uh, just give us the highlights on how they compare to each other, the differences, maybe the enhancements or whatever. Well, you know, the airplane itself, you can't tell one from the other when it's in the air. Uh, they fly exactly the same. And when you look at the actual math, the numbers of the B model and the, the, the nose of this being different than the legacy model, at the shoulder, they're the same. You know, it's the same width inside. And, and you would figure that 
if it's not wider at the shoulder, it wouldn't feel bigger. But it has an extra, I think, eight inches. Uh, it's eight inches wider at the firewall than the legacy model was. And just that angle not cutting into your knee and allowing you a big panel, because if you see the pictures of mine, I got a lot of stuff in my panel that John probably hates, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I wander a lot of stuff in there. I like to go places, and I like having that gear. I got used to it. So it's much roomier, in my opinion, and I used and it's got the center stick. I didn't use the Y in mine because I couldn't think of any reason that I would need to to have a Y in there. It just takes up more cockpit uh, space. Uh, flies the same, handles the same. All the crisp handling that we like in this in every Sonics is the same with this one. Climbs well, cruises well. All the systems work pretty well. It's a simple machine that just does what it's supposed to do. So I, I was happy with the first one, and I expect I'll be just as happy with this one. But I. I'm really interested to get that turbo up high where I want to fly it and see what it really can do up there. Yeah, well, that's a pretty good endorsement for the B model then, huh? Yeah, I can't find anything wrong with that. Here's The only thing we have is, is this, and this is the same issue that every pilot has with every airplane that he owns or ever sees, and that is we need it to be just this much faster, <laughs> have this much more range, and carry this much more stuff. Right. Other than that, every airplane is perfect. <laughs> right. Well, that's good. Uh, I appreciate you going through all that. Let's uh, let's jump into the main topic on wing rigging. Gary, I think I'm going to throw this over to you. Set this up for us. Just give us a, a quick overview on what what are we talking about in wing rigging, and and what are the the major things that we have to accomplish in the wing rigging process. Then we'll kind of peel this this onion back, and we'll start it from beginning to end. Gosh, trying to summarize this. You know, I think this is probably the most critical thing that we do in the entire assembly operation of the Sonics or any airplane, for that matter of fact. And it's always been something I obsess about. Certainly, we obsess about when we're building the airfoils, whether it's a horizontal, vertical, elevators, ailerons, wings, whether we got everything flat and true. Uh, but when it comes time to uh, mating these wings uh, into the airframe, and we've got these these major components, major expensive components already completed. We really obsess over wanting to make sure we get this thing absolutely right the first time, because uh, we know the angst that's going to be involved if we if we actually make a mistake and we have to redo some costly parts, not only in time but just in aggravation and and, and just feeling kind of like a failure. I would, I would basically would have to say. But, you know, this is this is critical. I mean, we want something that's going to meet the specifications so the aircraft uh, flies and handles like we want it to do. In other words, we want it to fly straight and true. Uh, we don't want to have to have an excessive amount of trim tabs or any trim tabs if we get really, really lucky. And we want it to perform like it's supposed to. Uh, so it's a matter of, of carefully and systematically looking at all the plans and Looking at the dimensions and the angles and the offsets and the dihedrals and the and you know whether there's any any type of washouts or angle of incidence to be set and, and the list kind of goes on and on and on. Uh, so it's a matter of trying to get uh, finding a way to to manhandle these wings, get them pre-positioned, and then just start dialing in all all the dimensions and angles that you really want before you you commit yourself with that big half-inch drill. You know, again, like most of the Sonics plans, although they're down to, you know, fractions of a degree and, and 64ths of an inch, 
we, we certainly have wiggle room and we know there's going to be some wiggle room in there, but the goal is to, is to match it as closely as possible. I know I've, I've looked at some of the way that these guys are doing the wing riggings and I can probably think of three different ways right off the bat on, on how to do these things. Uh, when I did mine, uh, I was really old school and old fashioned to set mine up. You know, once I got the, the spars, you know, pushed through the fuselage, you know, I had uh, wing stands at the tip uh, trying to get some of the dihedral set. I had hydraulic jacks back towards the rear spar area. Uh, to so ever incrementally uh, increase the the incidence to where it needed to be set, and uh, you know I went really really old school. I took uh, clear vinyl tubing, uh, ran it wing tip to wing tip, and filled it with uh, the blue windshield washer fluid, and just to use the old static you know hydraulic principles to find level. You know after the fuselage is leveled, couldn't use my floor because I, my floor certainly isn't level, but. You can jack up the fuselage, get it leveled and plumbed like you want to, then take the wings and, and do the old-fashioned way with just the you know, hydraulic levels and, and just take your time to do it. And it works just as well as anything else. I know some people uh, like the laser methods, and I'm sure that uh, Lou and you guys have got some other ideas as well. Yeah, Gary, I, I use the laser method with a uh, just a, a surveyor's laser, uh, but same idea. Uh, surveyor's laser just replaces the uh, the old Roman uh, tube that they used. I uh, I use the critical part. There's a couple of critical parts to it that actually start before you get there, and that is when you're mating the spars. Make sure they're made. I, of course, you mate those on the bench before you ever bring the the completed wing over to the airframe. But uh, those get mated first, and you know that that's preset. You can't you can't really mess that up because you've got the uh, tooling holes. In the spars, how to line those things up, and you, you and you drill the uh, you know the wing blocks in that position. But once that's done, it, guys are right. It's critical that you level that airframe. It's got to be leveled across uh, you know from side to side, from front to back, and do whatever you need to do. Some guys use a bubble level. Uh, I use the digital level because I have them. Uh, I've also I also like to use in the uh, water in the tube to make sure that both wing tips were at the same height, the dihedral was set the same. It was really easy to do. And these are things that you don't need special tools for. You've got a piece of uh, clear hose that you can buy at the Ace Hardware, and the water's going to run through it just, you know, like some expensive piece of uh, equipment. So if you've got high-end equipment, use it. But, you know, John Monette said to me once, you know, the airplane doesn't know if it's off that much. It just I found with the it's digital gonna settle stuff, up. start to obsess too much. You start to see these, you know, 0. 0.1 degrees, and you keep saying to yourself, "Is that close <laughs> yeah. enough? Is that close enough?" Yeah, you, know, you, can't, you can't see a 0. 0.1 on hydraulics. I remember Jeremy Asher said to me, "You know, I was asking him that same question some years back about, you know, these are 64 of an inch, man. I, you know, I can't hardly see that close." He says, "Well, here's a secret: the left wing is farther ahead than the right wing, but the airplane doesn't know it." Yeah. So um, we got to get really, you, you strive for perfection and you get as close as you possibly can with, you know, good measurement, good technique. But it, things got to be level and it's got to be secure that it's not going to bounce around on you and change its position. Fill the tires up when you're doing it, level the aircraft across and lengthwise. And that that's the critical starting point. If, if that's off, everything else is off. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, that, that's probably a good way to kind of summarize, you know, the, the overall task. Um, let's, let's start this at the very beginning and then we'll kind of step our way through, you know, step by step. So Lou, like you pointed out, 
the wing rigging process really starts before wing rigging day, and that's when you mate the spars together. So you, before you even assembled the skeleton of the wing, you have two completed spars. You mate those spars together, and then you pre-drill between the main attach blocks on each spar into each other. So they're all pinned together at that quarter-inch sort of pilot hole that the plans has you call for. That's all done before you even get there. So when it comes for, for the wing rigging day, you're going to put the spars back into the spar tunnel. You're going to pin them back in place using the alignment holes you've already established. And then you're, then you're going to level the entire wing to the fuselage itself. So that's really kind of the start of the wing rigging. You level the wing to the leveled fuselage. And, and when you mate those spars on the bench, it could be months before that you do that before you bring the completed wing over to the airframe. You know that when those spars are mated, the dihedral set, you can't change it anymore. You can't mess it up. It can't, you can't adjust it. That's how it's going to be. So if you did that right, and it, quite frankly, I think mating the spars is hard to mess up. Uh, but if you do that right, just by paying attention, reading the instructions a few times, doing one step at a time, checking each one as you go along, then the rest of the job becomes simple with the problems. And I've seen these on guys that have had to rebuild other guys' work in, on the Sonics. If you don't do that right, the stuff you have to start messing around with to try and fix it, is almost not worth doing. Just start with the foundation and then put one brick on top of each one as you go. And 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 that's the key for these two things. Uh, spars made it well. And once that's done, you slide them in there. The, air, the airframe's leveled. And then, uh, you know, you already have templates in there. You got these uh, pre-drilled holes in the spars and the blocks. And, you know, you stuff's clicked in and they're pretty much lined up. Just make sure you're centered left and right. Uh, you got the same amount of uh, room between the fuselage walls on the left and right, between the uh, pin holes on each side, and uh, and then set the wing tip height and everything. And it, it it is not as difficult. It's easier to do, I think, than it is to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Now, there's one area here where you're going to get a couple of different opinions, and really, there is no wrong answer here. It's just about what you think is going to work better for you. The plans have you mate the spars and drill those main attach holes where the bolts are going to go through. Have you drill those up to one quarter inch? That's your pilot hole. Then you're going to use quarter inch pins and you're going to pin in the three tooling holes in the center of the spars. Again, they're going to pin together as well as the main attach blocks. And you're going to stick that in and, and then you're going to drill through those quarter inch main attach blocks into the fuselage angles. And that works just fine. But if you drill them incorrectly and the drill starts to wander a little bit, you have quite a bit of meat to go through. you got to go from quarter inch, you have to up-drill all the way to three-eighths of an inch, or uh, possibly even bigger if, if you're trying to recover from a mistake. So there is another line of thought out there that says when you have your spars pinned together and you're doing the, the mating of the spars initially, don't go to a quarter inch, you know, up-drill them even bigger. And that way there's less error when you actually drill them to the fuselage, because you're not having to drill through all that meat of all those blocks. If you're not sure, you're having a hard time following that, there are lots of discussions on sonicsbuilders.net that kind of highlight the differences here. Whether you just stick with the plans method of quarter inch initially, or you drill it all the way up to three-eighths inch, and then you have to drill less through your attach angles. So I'll just point that out. On this build, I don't remember what I did on the first uh, YX, but on this build, I drilled them all the way up, those uh, blocks when I made it the spars. 
that just made sense to me, and I found it to be less troublesome than re-drilling while I'm upside down or sideways or in a difficult spot inside. It was less material to go through. The drilling went faster. And the, uh, the um, wing block that I had already drilled up to half acted as my guide. So uh, that worked well for me. But I've all, now, and now I think of it, I've also used the other method where you're using the step drills. Uh, you know, we drill a smaller hole and then you got a step drill that will follow that hole without cutting. And then, and that works well. There's really, you're right. There's no wrong way to do it as long as the result comes out good. Yeah. Some of it, I think, relates to, to your access too. And Lou, I know you'll talk about that too, as to how you uh, maintain access in order to be able to easily and effectively drill through all that stuff as well. Actually. Yeah. Um, hey, Lou, let, let me just jump in here real quick. Um, Gary, explain exactly what you mean by access. We're, we're talking about getting the drill to the blocks, right? So walk us through that so people maybe that don't haven't haven't got to that point have a better mental image of what you're describing. Well, I'm going to have to say I kind of did it the stupid way, but Lou did it the smart way. <laughs> Is that you know right? Especially in the legacy models, as you get those bars in there and, and crosshatch together and pinned. Um, uh, you know, I had already done quite a bit. I had the firewall on and, and a lot of other things. And so now I'm trying to get this this fairly massive drill bit into a fairly close, tight area. Uh, I ended up having to use, uh, you know, some special uh, angle drill attachments to get that done. Um, did I do it? Yes, I did. Did I get it in really, really tight and snug? I think it was a close tolerance fit when I finished. And I had hoped that I would never have to take those wings back off again. Uh, but it did do it, but uh, it was getting one of those things because the limited access, uh, trying to get the, the big drills in there and have the extra space, uh, really does put some extra anxiety into the process. Uh, Lou, I know you did yours a little bit better, so why don't you step in and, and perhaps show us a smarter way to do it? Interestingly enough, I did the second one different than the first. Now, there's two reasons for that. The first one is, as you well know, the, the legacy model has a, can, uh, a cockpit that's closes in gets tighter as you go forward in the in the airframe uh, but you also have the flap uh, torque tube that is in front of the uh the main spar tunnel there so because of that you have this d-shaped hole cut out in the right side of the fuselage walls and that gives you some space to maneuver an angle drill to drill from the front of the legacy model now we don't have that problem in the b model because we don't have that that decreasing uh, angle coming towards the front of the airframe. It's it's the same width all the way from the shoulders all the way to the uh, firewall. But we don't have that hole there either. So I realized uh, on the second build that I remembered when I was doing this process, uh, I had the firewall on in the legacy model, and the uh, floor was also on uh, underneath there. And the aft bottom section, of course, was off. You just you rivet that just before you put the paint on. But uh, I was in all sorts of awkward positions trying to drill from the front to the back on the legacy model. So what I did on the, on the B model is I, I didn't uh, rivet the firewall on until after I had these wings rigged. All you need to do is make sure that everything's square. If you have to put a couple of braces or formers across it someplace to make sure that you maintain your squareness. When I left the firewall off, all of a sudden I had all sorts of access to the front. It made a big difference for me. I'm not all bendy like a lot of guys are, you know, so, uh, and, and I don't like to work upside down for too long. It gives me a headache. So well, this that stuff just comes from experience, you know, having yeah. hadn't, hadn't done it a couple of times before you can realize where, you know, this might be a little bit easier if I do this instead of that. 
Yeah, and that's it. I, I gave it some thought. I said, you know what? I, as long as everything stays square, it doesn't matter whether the firewall's on or, or not. So you just right. you you know do the things you have to do, whether that's put some uh, a bracing across uh, the top of the fuselage or the firewall or someplace. But I found that to be way easier for me. It went easier, faster, um, and I was able to work on it for longer periods of time without getting all uh, you know when you're bending over the side of your fuselage. How it cuts across your ribs and all that. After a while, I didn't have any of that when I was doing that with this one because I left the. I'm pretty sure I would have to put bracing across just to make sure it would maintain because I think there would be enough flexibility in there that it could get out of line if if you weren't. Yeah, it's a rigid airframe, but but I did it. I just just because we overdo things, and I'm going to make sure I don't want to have to go back and find that I made a mistake. So yeah, the additional bracing, couple of you know something that you clamp or. Uh, yeah, you'll sleep better. Figure it out. There's a bunch of ways to figure that out. So, Lou, when you did this, your your uh, fuselage wasn't sitting on its gear. It was sitting on a uh, on a, on some sort of cribbing, or you know, some sort of uh, sawhorses or something. Yeah, I mean, you can leave it on the gear. A lot of guys do. I don't think there's any problem with that. I just was more comfortable having that airframe immovable, no compression in the tires. No, um, less likely to wiggle it if it's on sawhorses than if it's on the ground on its gear. So I put the sawhorses under the uh, front of the fuselage and the tail, leveled everything. My hangar floor slopes ever so slightly down towards the uh, opening uh, of the hangar, you know. So uh, on sawhorses, it was easy to keep it just immovable, you know. Yeah, well, because you didn't have the, the firewall riveted in you right. clearly couldn't have had the 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 engine mount and the gear support for it yep. so you had to do it on uh, sawhorses and the legacy wasn't like that i had it on the gear when i when i fit these wings it uh, just gave me more room to work around it as well you know you just got a tub there and less stuff on it so it worked out pretty well and if i were to do it again that's how i i would do it again i would do it with the firewall off and on sawhorses well, I think I'm going to follow your uh, your lead when I re-rig my wings to my new B model. So it's a good idea. Thanks. All right. Well, I want to make sure we capture all the tools that uh, we're going to use to do this. Um, we, we mentioned a whole bunch of them, but um, sawhorses, you're going to need various blocking and bracing, especially if it's on the gear already and you have to level the fuselage side to side. You might have to brace one wheel on some, some wood cribbing. Uh, you're going to need a stand for the tail so that you can level it front to back and a, an adjustable stand so that you can get the entire fuselage perfectly square. We talked about leveling tools like a water level. And for anybody that's not really sure, it's just a, a 25 or a 50 foot length of, of clear plastic tubing that you can get from the hardware store. Fill it with water and the water will always seek its own level. So when you hold each end of the tube at the wingtip, you'll be able to tell if the wingtip is exactly at the water level or maybe the other side is, is off. Digital levels, bubble levels, all that kind of stuff. Make sure you have the spar pins that are going to hold the spars together. So those three center tooling holes, those are alignment holes for those quarter-inch spar pins. So you're going to need those because while you're drilling the main attach blocks to the fuselage angles, you have to have something to hold those spars together. So you're going to need those those polished quarter-inch spar pins. And Jeff, I, again, I mentioned I found those hydraulic bottle jacks really effective in the, in the aft spar to set the incidence. 
That's a good idea. I didn't use those, and uh, mine was more fiddly to get it right, but I like that idea. Yep. Uh, you can use a series of small wedges also uh, to kind of hold things where you need it, especially when you're you're moving that rear spar to kind of set the incidence. So maybe some small wedges. And uh, Gary, the bottle jack would do that even better. So I like that idea as well. That's a good idea. Uh, drills. Uh, so think about what you drill you're going to use. You can't use a drill with a really large head and chuck because you'll run into the side of the fuselage. So you want a very low profile drill. And this is where an air drill or a 90 degree drill attachment or even a 90 degree air drill is going to get snugged up close to the fuselage side and make it a lot easier to drill. Now, Lou, in the B model, you have more distance between where the hole is and the side of your fuselage. How does that play out? You do. However, what you don't have is you don't have that that D-shaped uh, opening that the legacy has for the uh, flap torque tube to come across. So what happens is, is although you have more room naturally, you don't have an excess of room because now you're up against the wall. So I think that what I found is I don't think this job can – well, it probably can be done, but I can't do it. I don't think the job should be done without a uh, low-profile air angle uh, drill on that because that uh, you will if you're trying to use the angle attachment for your cordless or corded drill you will run up against stuff and you need to be able to move that you got to have free movement uh, around that area to get that drill bit in straight and keep it straight so um yeah i, I think that uh, an, an air drill if you don't have one uh angle drill is something that you need to borrow or buy you can get it from harbor freight pretty cheap and Frankly, when I look at things that maybe you'll only use it three times in your life, I don't care if I buy it from Harbor Freight or not. If it lasts three jobs, then it paid for itself because they're cheap. Yeah, Harbor Freight has a, a pretty good 90-degree air drill, and they're 20 or $30. And so even if you, like you say, it's a specialty tool, it's only used for a handful of times in your build, it's worth picking it up. Yeah, I think so. Or borrow from somebody on the airport because everybody, you know, ton of people have those things. Yeah, yeah. And then lastly, uh, your drill bit. So this is something that everybody has their their favorite bit. It kind of goes with the type of technique. And so just, just kind of, you know, as I mentally run down the list of options for drill bits, you can use a piloted bit where you have a smaller pilot, kind of a nose piece that extends out the front of the drill that doesn't actually do any cutting. And that's the one that's going to follow that center hole that's already done. So you would get a quarter inch piloted, and then it would extend, expand that open to the size for the bolt. So up to, say, three-eighths or maybe even a, a series of steps where the pilot, um, you know, then takes a smaller opening. Uh, there was a set of wing rigging bits that's been around for at least 10 years. I used them on my first Sonics. That was exactly that. It was three sets of piloted bits where they went in small steps. The pilot followed the existing hole. It stepped it out a little bit. And so you ran three, each of these three bits to go from quarter inch to three eighths. So that's, that's the first option. Piloted bits, either a single or a set. The next is like a step drill bit. And that's where the center one is going to potentially do some cutting. And then the one behind it is going to do it. So I'll put some links to um, what has been used before. The, uh, those can work fine. The, the difficulty on the step drills is that if that center does a lot of cutting, you can actually get it off track and it can cut a new path. And so you got to be real careful about a step drill that the center is designed to cut and uh, maybe even go in there and dull it so it doesn't cut. 
Yeah, I should probably interject here. I, before when I mentioned that, I used the phrase step drill, but that's not what I was referring to. I didn't use those. I used the pilot drill bit. And I'm a big fan of drilling a pilot hole and then using that uh, piloted bit behind it. Uh, you get a really nice hole, and uh, and when you draw a small pilot hole and then up drill, the drilling process is much easier. It goes much faster than trying to force something big to right from the beginning. Right, right. And then I guess the, the last option is just get a good drill index that's long enough to get all the way through, and you just drill it in small increments. So you might start off with a quarter inch and then go to a 64th larger at a time. So you just kind of keep running the next larger size through. And with only a small increase in diameter, it will tend to follow the existing hole without wandering off track. That is another way that you can go about doing it. And it doesn't require any muscle to do that when, you, when you're in an awkward position, if, uh, you know, uh, muscle-wise, you know, you don't want to get any aches and all that. Right. And then I'll just uh, make the comment that if you are having a hard time finding a piloted bit, get on YouTube and just search for fabricating a piloted bit. It's really not that hard. Essentially, you go buy yourself a, a cobalt bit, <clears throat> say your three-eighths uh, hole, and then you're going to use your grinder and you're going to turn it down on your grinder to create the pilot. And uh, anyway, go, go search YouTube. You can find a, a tutorial on how to do it. And even if you go to Home Depot and you pick up three of these bits so you can practice on the first two, you're only going to be out a few bucks on each bit. Yeah, it's, it's a cheap, easy way to go. I agree. Right. And then the last thing is um, you're probably going to want some sort of drill lube. So Bowie lube or cutting oil or something just to make sure that you don't really, uh, you know, have a problem getting through all, the, all that meat. The spars, when you have both spars and the web and the angles, you have about six inches of material that drill bit has got to go through. And you don't want it binding up inside there. Yeah, that's such a good idea. I think I've come across a lot of guys that don't um, – don't realize how effective bow lube can be on these bits. So you can get them in like the kind of pasty powder, or you can get in a little bit of a, a liquid squeeze thing. But either way, the drill bit lasts longer and it cuts through so much nicer when you lube the tip of those things. That bow lube is good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think mine was kind of like wax-like. I have a stick that I've had for 10 years and I'm only a third of the way through, so. Yeah, it lasts a long time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, so I guess uh, after we've done the, the prep work, we've got all our supplies in hand. Then the next step is to actually level the fuselage, and we talked about that. So the fuselage is all level, it's ready to go. And then you stick the wings uh, one, you know, each side, they kind of mate back together, you know, using those pins. And then we're gonna we're gonna level the the wings to the fuselage. So John, you talked about you use the laser method. Walk me through, how do you use a laser to make sure that your wings are level to your fuselage? How do you do that? Well, the way I used it was, it was the, the laser was sitting on a tripod, and it broadcasted out a, uh, a level laser beam. Um, it's, it's basically used for landscaping um, across the hangar. So I've assumed that my fuselage is level based upon uh, spirit levels that I place on the fuselage. And um, then you, <clears throat> you basically have to, you have to shut up the hanger to get it a little darker. Yeah. But then when you put the wings into the spar box, you can go to each wingtip and put a, uh, a yardstick on the tip and see where the laser is hitting. 
And so it might be at, you know, 22 and a half inches or whatever. Then you go to the other wing tip and you shim it to be at 22 and a half. So now you know that the fuselage is level and the wing tips are now at the same level based upon the laser that's being spun or it, it, they, they spin on this tripod and are level across the entire uh, room or the hangar. And that's how I've leveled my wingtips. Okay, that, that's an important distinction. It's not a, a dot that is projected out of like a pen laser. It is a plane that is being uh, fabricated by the spinning laser. It creates a, a reference plane that you can measure against. Right, and I bought this thing from Harbor Freight for about 75 bucks. John? Uh, you know, with yeah. using I, the the question or concern I would have though is if you're still using a yardstick, for example, to measure, you're measuring from the floor up. Is that correct, or did I misunderstood you? No, you're measuring from the wingtip up, so it's a, a direct reference from like the top skin of the wingtip. Okay, so yes. it's above the wing. Okay, I don't know if I, I guess I was yeah. the one to catch that. The surveying level is just broadcasting out a level line against the earth above um, the wings. at a, a specific level above the wings. Yeah, it might be like five feet above the floor. Yeah, it could be five feet. It could be 10 feet. I don't care. But if the fuselage is level and you go to one end of the wingtip with your yardstick and you measure where that laser is hitting at 22.5 inches, and you go to the other wingtip, and the laser's hitting it at 22.7, well, then you know you have to raise that one wingtip up 0.2 to make it level to the fuselage. Does that sure, make I sense? Oh, yeah. it does now. I was, for some reason, I was always thinking of, of, of ground up, but actually you're measuring from wing up. Above yeah, you're, you're actually not. The, the ground not, is yeah, irrelevant as long as the fuselage is level. Yeah. yeah. I got it. I was just kind of backwards in my thought process. Yeah, uh, figure a like a glass sheet across the entire hangar that's not connected to the floor. It's just a perfectly flat plane. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yes, yeah, so and that's great. what the laser is doing. And then you bring the wing up until the, the, the challenge is you got to do this in the dark. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. To see those uh, the laser beam. I like that. That sounds cool. Uh, I just don't have one of those, and I did have a big piece of clear tube that I put fluid in, so that worked. Yeah, that worked well, but. All these, like we're saying, there's no wrong way to do that. Whatever you have, whatever tool you like working with, uh, if it work, does a job, use what you're comfortable with. No, I did find the Romans built the useful. aqueducts with the old. The the Romans built the aqueducts with the old uh, tube in the uh, in the the water in it. So yep. and it, it works exactly the same way. You know, I should point out, we, this comes natural. we know this, but, you know, if a guy is doing this for the first time and he's not, doesn't have, you know, other airplanes behind him, you should remind them if this is your first time doing this and you're in your hangar alone, don't get that uh, airframe up on the sawhorses, then go grab a wing, slide it in, put that, let go of that wing and go get the other wing because that thing's going to do a roll. You need to support the, uh, <laughs> the single wing while you go get the second one. Yeah, you well, always want learn, about five or six learn people very quickly. to do anything with a yeah. wing. Yeah, but, but it's not a cheap, uh, that's not a cheap lesson to learn because you're going to bend something. No, and it, it, it's actually a good uh, bonding method with all of your friends and your neighbors yeah. mm -hmm. to get all, everybody in and say, hey, we're going to rig a wing. Yeah. Come on out. I got a laser. Let's go. So one of the things I'll point out as a, as a potential mistake 
is that you go through a lot of detail in leveling the fuselage and inserting the wings and leveling the wings, and then everything is good at that particular moment, and then something changes. You you start leaning on the side of the fuselage, and you compress the tire as you're leaning on it. Now it's not, you know, you're supporting the wingtip still, but you've kind of canted the fuselage a little bit or something like that. So just be mindful that if you if you align it, don't go back and inadvertently mess up your alignment when you get in there and start drilling your holes. Yeah, that's well, that's why I like before you start the yeah, drill. The sawhorse method I like the best because of that. Yeah, that's why I like a loose sawhorse method versus or, on the or on even the tires. Your build, or even your build table. If you build an eight foot uh, table, a good one to build on, which most of us have built, uh, that's you can use that as well. I just find it easier to get in and around with the sawhorses. Yeah. Okay, well, when it's time to actually drill the holes, we, we talked about uh, using lube on the bit. We talked about the different types of bits. But um, really, I, I just want to kind of call some attention. The, the sequence in the manual is very specific. So, again, if, if, if you're not looking at your plan sheet, you have a forward attach angle on the fuselage. And then you have a, an aft attached angle. And between those two angles is where the wing spars sit. So you have to match the hole in the middle, which is of the spars, to a, a forward angle and an aft angle. So the only way you can do that is you have to remove one of those vertical angles. So you remove that, get it out of the way. Now you can run your drill bit through. It, it basically just goes through the center hole in the wing. And then you drill through that forward angle. And then you can reinsert the aft angle and come back through. So you'll, you'll see this, you know, if, you, if you're wondering why is the plans have me keep the aft angle out? Well, it's so you can get access to, to drill the forward one. So you drill back to front and then you turn around and then you go front to back. And so if you're going to do it in steps, um, you first have to get that, that initial hole, whether it's quarter inch or three eighths or whatever. You have to get that initial hole through both of your angles and the wing spars themselves. Jeff, I think actually on the new B model, I haven't gotten to that point yet, but I think it's reversed. Yeah, they you had attach to. the rear and then you drill, then attach the front and then re-drill. Mm -hmm. It's really simply all we're doing is mass drilling there, like you would do within a bunch of other parts. Right. But because you're clicking a bunch of big parts, it makes you a little bit nervous to do it. But it, it's really fairly simple. You get the wings set to the fuselage. You take uh, one of the uh, attach angles off. You have your block there that's set and in the right place. It's made it up against the rear attach angle. You stick your drill in there. You drill the rear attach angle. Then you pull that out. You put the other one back. You put the front attach angle in, pull the rear one off, and then you match drill the opposite way. So it's, um, it, it's less traumatic. Uh, doing it, then figuring it out and reading the plan. It's, right. it's just like match drill and anything else you match drill in the build. And of course, it's a metal airplane. So the process is put it together, take it apart, put it together, take it apart, put it together, take it apart, deeper, put it back together, and not put your bolts and rivets in. So it, it's your just assembling and disassembling. Yeah. Now, this is uh, an area that if you follow the plans and you initially drill your spars to quarter inch, you have to enlarge them quite a bit. And this is where the opportunity to wonder your drill bit off track really comes in. So I'm, I'm actually a big fan of, of not doing the quarter inch initial, but drilling them larger just exactly for that reason. But this is the number one way that you're going to go wrong in, in rigging your wings. And that is you have everything clamped up, something happens, 
And as you're drilling, that drill bit is no longer following your pilot hole. It's cutting a new path. And you won't really know this until you poke out the other side and you look at the the, uh, the wing spar, say, and now you have the initial hole and you have your new hole and it's half a diameter off. And you haven't followed, they're, they're no longer concentric and you have this kind of oval-shaped hole instead of a nice clean circular hole. Yeah, that's why I use the pilot drills to drill the hole in the wing block on the bench. Right. I fitted those wings in there. That uh, block that's attached to the uh, the wings bar was already half inch. Yeah. And I could just put the half inch bit in there, and I just had to drill through the fore and the aft uh, wing attach angles. So after the main spars are drilled, you've already kind of clamped up the aft spar so that you have the incident set correctly. But honestly, there's enough flexibility in, in how everything fits up there that um, that's not super critical. When it's time to drill the aft spar, you're going to drill it to the carry-through structure, and that's going to set your wing at the proper incidence. And so if you have aligned everything, when you get ready to drill the aft carry-through, you got to go back and you got to double-check all your alignments to make sure nothing is shifted. And that way you know before you drill those holes, it's still at the correct angle. Yeah, you're always, you always remeasure before you drill anything just to make sure nothing shifted. So if you were to get that incidence set incorrectly, the way that would show itself in flight is that, you know, one wing is flying at a slightly different angle of attack than the other. And so you're going to get a bit of a roll component. So if you have a heavy wing or, you, you know, you need to hold a little bit of aileron to kind of, you know, make it fly straight, that's the kind of thing that's going to show itself if that incidence is not quite right. Now, the good news is if you if you do this and you don't catch that there's a, a, a problem until you're flying it, you can always just go and pull those attached blocks that for the carry-through, pull them out, make new ones, reset your incidents, re-drill them to the fuselage, and, and you're back in business. So it's, it's, a, it's a correctable mistake, but, uh, you know, we don't want to have to go back and fix that down the road. Yeah, it's fiddly back there. And I'll, one thing, here's a big difference between the uh, Legacy model and the B model is when you're doing that rear attach uh, uh, web uh, there for the rear spar, we have the flap torque tube. It's electric flaps in the B model. We have that torque tube behind that hole. It's really difficult to get at that stuff from underneath the uh, turtle deck floor area if you have the torque tube and its uh, uh, fittings attached there. Uh, you don't really want to put those in the fuselage until after you've uh, mated your rear spar and all the rest of that thing. It, it, it's just in the way. So uh, you didn't have that issue with the legacy model, but the, the B model does have that flap arrangement right behind that and all the stuff, the Delron, uh, uh, you know, fittings getting away back there. So leave that out uh, on the B model before you do your rear attach attachment of the spar. Now, that, that's a good tip, Lou. Now, is is that kind of the way the plans guide you to do it? Or is that, you know, the benefit of your experience in hindsight looking back? You know, to be frank with you, I don't recall the order uh, from the plans as to how they had to do that. But, you know, a lot of us will see things that we that we see when we're building it and say, okay, well, I can put this in now. And you know what? Sometimes you can't because you have to take it back out again to get that stuff. And that was one of the things that I put in there. And I realized when I started to do that rear spar, uh, I can't get at this stuff, so I had to take it out. Not that it's a huge deal, but why do it if you know if you if you can avoid it? So right. put the flap torque tube in, and and uh, it's uh, 
surfaces, is mating surfaces and all that in after you get that rear spar attached. Okay. Um, what else? Um, in the drilling uh, of the main spars, the tunnel, the, the vertical angles, the aft spar and carry through, are there any other areas that might lend themselves to making mistakes? Uh, Gary, anything come to mind? No, actually not. I think you've pretty much covered everything. Okay, John, did anything for you? Having just separated my plane and, and looking at what I'm going to have to do to re-rig my wings, Lou has given me some great advice of don't put that rear torque tube in because uh, I need to have access to there. Um, I, I think it's actually going to be simpler on the B model than it is the A. It will but, be. Uh, the A wasn't too bad. It It's... Uh, it's tight. I know that on getting those uh, those holes drilled and getting the bolts, you know, tight fit through there. But um, <clears throat> it's it's not as uh, a pre- or uh, scary as you think it would be. You just get everything lined up, you get it all stabilized, and then you just do it, and it's clean. It'll work. Yeah, I, I really like the. Uh the electric flaps in this, the whole mechanism is so much simpler. Do one electric motor, a couple of pivot points, uh, a couple of attachments and you're done. There's, you know, push rods there's, there's, and if you remember what it's like to try and get in and, uh, adjust those <laughs> push rods from the front of the, uh, spar tunnel, uh, that's a pain. So the B model doesn't have any other issues and less hardware, a little bit less weight. Oh. Yeah, Lou, I, I, I still have scars on my hands from uh, <laughs> uh, removing those yep. connections that I had scars on putting them in. So, yeah, even the inspections, I'll tell you what I did on my legacy model is because I don't like working upside down, hanging in a small cockpit, and you do have to check that stuff. I actually cut an additional uh, inspection uh, plate underneath the wing so I could get at inspecting the. Uh, uh, cotter pins and everything in the manual flap uh, uh, arrangement in the legacy model. Uh, so I wouldn't have to hang upside down. I could just do it from underneath the airplane. And that worked out pretty well, but uh, yeah. not, even an issue with, not even an issue with the B. All right. Well, let's talk about fixing mistakes. If uh, if, if you've done all this and, and something still went wrong, uh, and, and I think probably the number one thing that if you're if you're not using a piloted bit and say you're using a drill index and you're going up a, a small step at a time, if you're holding that drill and you're applying pressure to it, instead of letting the drill bit follow the existing hole, you are actually kind of torquing it over to the to the side to make it start cutting a new path. You may not even realize you're doing that. And this is where just, you know, poor drill technique might set you up for this problem. But you find Oh, geez, uh, I've drilled all my holes, and, and this is totally unacceptable. The holes don't line up. You know, what do I need to do to fix it? Well, the simple thing is all those parts can be pulled off and thrown away, and, and you can do it over. And it is not the end of the world to have to refabricate attachment blocks, those big one-inch square blocks that go on the spars. You can fabricate new blocks. You can use the old ones as uh, alignment patterns. You can fabricate new vertical angles that go on the fuselage. Even if you've already riveted them in, it's only uh, about 20 rivets to pull those angles out. And you use them as templates to make your new ones. 
you fabricate a new vertical angle and slide it right back into the fuselage and drill it, matching it up to the holes that are in the skin. It really is not that hard. Mentally, it's hard to make the switch to correct over these mistakes. But once you come to terms with it and just decide to get in there and do it, remaking the parts is only a, a, an afternoon's worth of work. You can match it right back up and then re-rig it and in, you'll get good, clean holes. You'll get proper parts and it's not that much work. You know, I should say that uh, on that subject, that's, I've seen a friend of mine is rebuilding uh, a legacy model that somebody built. And quite frankly, the original work was not very good. Uh, the original work, we found a lot of that stuff in it. And the guy would have mismeasured something and he drilled holes and he wasn't going to remake it. So he just moved the part and re-drilled holes next to it. And, you know, it's never right. Nothing lined up. He was fixing things with a hammer, I think. So the reality is if you mess something up, don't make it worse. Don't keep drilling. Either make yourself a new part uh, using the old one's template, or you know what? This new kit is so much easier than the old one. I spent the first six weeks that I owned the kit making all of these angles. They said, here's a picture in the plans and make this piece of metal look like that. And it took me six weeks before I could start putting the forward fuselage walls together. But the new kit, all that stuff's made. So if you don't want to make it, call Carrie, call Mark, have them send you a new part. And, and put it together right. So it, it will fly straight. It will fly right. It won't be dangerous. Yeah, one of the local guys here in Kansas City, um, he told the story a lot. His wings had been drilled by the original builder. And they there was a problem. I'm not sure exactly what it was. But the holes were sloppy one way or the other. They were sloppy. And he said that he realized that it was getting bad because they were kind of wallowing out. Because he could walk over to one wingtip and he could wiggle one wingtip by an inch or so. And the other wingtip wasn't moving. So those holes had elongated that much over a year or two of flying until he realized, you know, how bad it had gotten. And for him, it was a simple matter of replacing some of those parts, drilling new clean holes. And in a couple of weeks, it was all done. No big deal. And this is on a flying airplane. So taking the time to, to stop, back up, refabricate parts, put the new parts in and do it right – you're going to thank yourself at the beginning, and it's just really mentally making the the commitment to doing it is the only real hard part. The actual work is going to be simple. By the time we get done with these kits, we're in these for, you know, 50, 60, 70, whatever, whatever you're in these kits for. If you got to spend an extra $600 along the build because you didn't know anything to start and you learned all your skills on this build, if that happens, it's way cheaper than having to try and fix that thing at a later date. And it's way safer. Just get the just get a new part or build a new part. Mr. Jeff? Yes. You know, actually, uh, that wingtip thing you just mentioned, that was actually, I always end up being part of my pre-flight inspection too, is I would actually walk around, I would grab my wingtips and actually move that whole airframe up and down to see whether or not I could feel anything developing in, in those attached blocks. And that, I've always thought that would be a good way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Because normal is the entire airplane moves as a single unit. The wings don't move against each other. They don't move relative to the fuselage. Everything is completely solid. If it doesn't feel like that, you know that there is a problem developing that you need to address. Yeah. All right. So I think we covered correcting from mistakes. There's really no magic to it. I just want to, I guess I want to, to reiterate one final thing. If you have a hole that say on the back side of the spar, it started off in the correct position, 
but the drill wandered as you were drilling towards the front. And then on the front spar, you have this double hole where the original hole is there and the new hole comes out slightly over to the side. If you remake those two attach angles one at a time, you can use the old angle as a guide for the new angle. So you you, you pull out the old attach block, you uh, fabricate a new one per the plans, you bolt it all up, and then using the good hole on the other spar, you can drill through and uh, and put that hole following the same track that the first spar, you know, established. And then you do the same thing. So now you've drilled the new block to the existing hole. Then you go back and pull out the rear block and put your new one in that side. So you kind of do, you know, one at a time and you won't even lose the alignment when you do that. Um, so anyway, just uh, if you have any questions on that, um, shoot us an email and I can I can send some pictures on how to do that. Because uh, we had... We had one here locally that we had to go through and do that. Um, although it is a bit frustrating, it's not particularly complex. Yeah, it's all good all good uh, ideas. Uh, I always find that when you're doing this stuff that you don't want, really don't want to do twice. Go slow, read the instructions three times, measure it four times, and then go ahead and have at, have at it. Just to make sure you understand in your mind the, what it's supposed to be doing when you're doing it. Yeah, well, those are uh, kind of great summary comments, Lou. John, any uh, any final thoughts and advice on on wing rigging? No, I, I, I think uh, I got a lot of out, out of this from Lou on um, keeping the airplane as uh, disassembled as you can when you do the ring, wing rigging. Uh, especially, don't do the uh, forward fuselage or the uh, firewall because uh, it'll make it a lot easier. And it, just doing it on soft horses instead of on landing gear. I really like that idea. I never really thought about it. I always thought you had to rig it when you were had basically everything fabricated, the the whole fuselage box uh, tightened up with and sitting on gear before you rigged it. But no, I, I like his idea doing it all then. You could realistically you could rig this thing without even the tail cone or turtle neck on because it doesn't have anything to do with that. But, but it adds rigidity to the structure, so you certainly do it that way. But the concept is just keep – even if you you can clamp it to those uh, uh, saw horses as well to make sure that it's not going to get bumped or moved off its thing. But um, I just found that to be a lot easier with the second build. Mm-hmm. Gary, any uh, final thoughts or advice? Nope, I think you guys are good. Yeah, okay. Well, and I guess for, for my uh, just sort of – summary thoughts um wing rigging can be a little bit intimidating but like we've talked about the techniques are pretty straightforward and there's a variety of techniques that can be successful we we've talked about the the known problem areas with the drill bit wondering uh using a good piloted drill bit can go a huge way to making sure that doesn't happen so do a little bit of research help get your head wrapped around the task at hand and the techniques that have been proven successful. So get on sonicsbuilders.net and, and look at the threads there. Go check out some builder web pages, but just kind of get a, a feel for how these techniques play out. Get good tools that are going to, you know, do the job well. And and that might be, um, you know, one of the tool loan programs. We, we hadn't mentioned it previously, but the Sonics Builders and Pilots Foundation, they have a tool loan program with a set of wing rigging drill bits. 
Uh, I know the Australian Sonics Association, they have a tool loan crib that, uh, that has wing rigging bits. And the American Sonics Association in Crossville, they used to have a set. I, I don't know if they still do, but you can reach out to them. They may be uh, with one of the members locally. And then certainly individual members have tools that they either fabricated or purchased and gathered for their own projects. So come up online, talk to some of your fellow builders, and uh, and find those tools. And it will make the job a lot simpler and a lot more precise and, and avoid some of these problems. And then lastly, we hit this already, don't be afraid to slow down and maybe take a step backwards to, to fix a problem early before it becomes a big problem later on. You'll thank yourself in the long run. You know, last thought of that, I, this works for me a lot. When I come up and get something that's bothering me a lot, I, if it if it's really bothering me, I just stop. I go home. It, the answer comes to me overnight or the next day, and then go back in. It'll make sense. It'll sort itself out. Yeah, and a lot of times that little voice in the back of your head is is part of your brain that has has grasped a problem, but you can't quite articulate the problem. So you kind of have this this feeling, this discomfort that something's not quite right, maybe a little bit of confusion. And experienced builders learn to listen to that little voice and say, whoa, wait a sec, I got an uneasy feeling. I better just stop and let me let me think about this for a while before I commit uh, to a drill bit here. Yeah, all these Sonics builders are more than willing to share the information that they have. You got questions, get on the Sonic side, find a builder that's in your area. Call them up. Call three. Call ten guys. I'll talk to you. Yeah. Well, good, um, Lou. Uh, thanks for all your comments. Uh, I think your perspective of having done legacy powered or legacy YX kit, and then now your B model kit, it really kind of highlights the techniques and and the differences between the two. And really, they're more similar than they are different. But it's good to kind of call out specific differences. Yeah. Yeah. Fun flying airplane. That's the whole idea. Building's fun. Flying's more fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Um, I guess before we just kind of close this out, I got a couple of emails from various people that uh, sent us some feedback. So I want to thank those guys for uh, for reaching out. Uh, one of them is from our friend Tim Reed. Uh, Tim was um, on, I don't know, probably in the 30s. He was a brand new builder who was just getting ready to take delivery of his, his kit. I think he was working on his tail kit when we talked to him. And he did our, our new builder perspective. Well, Tim is making great progress. He's got his, his wings finished. He's working on his fuselage. And actually, he's getting ready for wing rigging uh, himself. So Tim's making good progress. We're going to have to get him back on the show and he can give us an update on how it's going. He also had a great idea for a show. He said that, you know, Garmin, their G3X instrument suite is really an attractive option for Sonics and that we ought to talk to Garmin. And he just happens to know somebody who is a G3X expert or sales rep or something like that. So he was going to work on reaching out to this guy and and trying to line him up as a guest. So that sounds great. I would love to talk to Garmin about their their avionics that would be of interest to us. Um, and then I use that as an encouragement to other people. If you have an idea on what would make a great podcast and a topic that you think other people would like to hear about, uh, and you know somebody, help us out. Reach out to those and, and make the initial contact and let us know what you're working on. We absolutely would love to to line up some of these guests based on 
a listener that that knows somebody or has a good idea. So do it. Send us an email. Let us know what kind of is on your mind, and we will uh, help get this lined up and, and really thank you for it. So great job, Tim, and look forward to talking to Garmin here soon. Do I do I get a uh, uh, you know one of those garments just to you know I can't talk about it unless I have one. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll I'll pitch that to him. I will I'll tell him that we really need to have like a model in front of us so that when we're talking about features that we can punch buttons and follow along. So I'll see if I can get you one as a demo. That's I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, hey, yeah. we're not doing this for free, are we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey Jeff, I was at the conference date last week, and uh, this might really be of interest to guys who are building Sonics. There's a company out that they will be releasing their product by Oshkosh, so they're going to be up there too. Uh, they have an entire um, set of instruments, all the all the stuff that we like in the glass pan. Lot runs completely on iPad, so it's very lightweight. They've got a couple of very small. Um, computer boxes that take in the uh, EMS and the, and the ad hard and all the rest of that stuff. But it's the entire instrumentation is two iPads. Hmm, and yeah. That will be pretty interesting because they're so light that for our aircraft, that might be an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, setup. So I forget the name of the company, but watch for them. They'll uh, be releasing their stuff by Oshkosh, I believe. I think those type of systems are going to be even more prevalent. Uh, I think there'll probably be a day where, you know, the traditional instrument panel is starting to kind of fall away and it's modular, it's portable, it's, it's updatable, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, that would actually be, I think John would even be happy with that because he doesn't like all the stuff we put in because they're all this functionality and weight and all this. And this is just an iPad or two. How can anybody complain about that? Yeah, that's right. No, he'll complain about it. (laughs) But if they give one to me, I will be a proponent of it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the other email I got was from Alex in the Netherlands, and he is getting really close to flying his Aero V-powered Sonics. Uh, He's going to be the first Sonics to be registered and flown in the Netherlands. Now, there's some others that are in the area, but he'll be the first. And so being the first comes with its own unique challenges, namely that the Civil Aviation Authority in the Netherlands wants to see a copy of some other airworthiness certificate to prove that this thing is indeed certifiable and it's accepted in other countries. So he had put out a a call for some assistance. In other words, uh, hey, can you send me a copy of a a U.S. airworthiness certificate so I can prove to my country that this thing is actually uh, legit? So I'm I'm sure that um, Alex will get taken care of and and, um, that will open it up for future builders in the Netherlands to kind of follow in his footsteps. But as I think about that and reflect, it's just a great reminder of how much flexibility and freedom we have in the States. We have a very lenient, very flexible, very accommodating regulatory environment. As much as we uh, you know, are, are confronted with the warts occasionally, it's still a fantastic setup. And a lot of other countries look to us to kind of blaze the trail and they're going to follow behind. Uh, I'll put a link to Alex's Facebook page if you want to follow along. And just looking at the photos, uh, he's done a real nice job at uh, painting, and he's doing final assembly now. Really nice looking airplane. All right, guys. Well, uh, this was a great episode. I think that it was a long time coming, and I hope that we have done the topic the justice that it deserves. Probably the best advice is listen to this once or twice. You know, go visit some builder websites, get your confidence up, 
And then uh, don't be afraid to just jump in and do it. It'll go easier than you think. Our next episode is going to be the Rotax 912 episode. So we've been working on this one for a long time, too. And we're going to talk with a, a builder in New Zealand who is flying his Rotax-powered uh, airplane. Uh, it's doing really well. He's going to talk about how he was able to build a custom engine mount that keeps the Rotax entirely under the stock cowling. So very clean looking, very, very good, and just a real nice setup. So we'll talk to him here in a couple of weeks, and I'm really looking forward to that episode. For this episode, you can find the show notes at sonicsflight.com slash 51. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can find us in iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. You can go to the website and listen to the show directly there. We'd love to hear your feedback and your show topic ideas. And especially if you have uh, interesting guests that you'd like to, to help us get lined up, we're all for that. So send us an email to feedback at sonicsfight.com, and you can find a link on the website to that email address as well. So with that, Lou, I want to say thanks one more time. Uh, John, Gary, good to talk to you guys and look forward to seeing you again soon. Yeah, hope so. Thanks, fellas. It was fun. All right, guys. Good call. Bye. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Slack podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.